All right, guys, welcome. Today I have a special guest that I invited, Vonda Schaefer. She's a licensed marriage family therapist and a neuronutrient therapist as well and nutritionist. Thank you for coming here and talking with us today. I'm really excited to share what you're doing with our community. Thank you, Kelly. I'm really happy for the opportunity. Why don't you share with everybody what is a neuronutrient therapist? Good. <laughs> First, let's go there. Okay, good. Yeah, that's a mouthful. <laughs> uh, so neuro, of course, refers to the brain. So it really is about giving the nutrients to the brain. And in my case, brain balancing um, to alleviate mental health symptoms. Wow. So this, anyone that's listening, I want to just kind of preface the context of why I invited you and this expertise onto our podcast and our blog, <coughs> excuse me, is that um, we were talking one day, you came to Mac and um, we were talking about the role of nutrition and therapy and this expertise you have. And I'm, you know, I have such limited knowledge and I think a lot of other therapists might as well. So I'm hoping uh, through today's interview, um, people will be inspired and, and learn some things that they can take back to their practices. So how did you get into, you know, being an MFT and then doing the neuronutrient stuff? I actually started with the nutrition first. Okay. Um, and I, my undergraduate degree is in nutrition. Uh -huh. um, and when I became an MFT, I was always kind of looking for a way to combine the two um, and not, not really sure how to make that happen. One of my first jobs as, uh, as an intern was in the school system, which mm. you know many of us have done hours in the school system, and I was in a low-income school system, and my, my office happened to be a closet off of the cafeteria. <laughs> We've all done that probably, too. Uh -huh. uh, so I have I got to see all the goings on in the cafeteria. Wow! And which was eye opening. And many of most of the school students were on free lunch, but many of them also had free breakfast. Mm -hmm. And the food that they were eating was just so astounding to me. The the amount of like processed, you know, muffins that had a nine month expiration date kind of thing. Um, <laughs> and and you know, I just kept thinking if I ate what these kids are eating for two of my meals, I would feel so bad. Um, and not only performance-wise, but over time it does impact mental health as well. So that was kind of the first thing that put a seed in me, like something I wonder what I could do to, you know, bring light to this situation. Um, and then going on, I got my license and was doing a lot of individual therapy mm -hmm. and, and really saw that there's a piece missing you know, there would be sometimes you know you were doing really great work and you weren't making the progress you expected. Um, and our kind of go-to when things aren't working is like, well, maybe we need to look at referring you for medication. And I just kept thinking there has to be another step before we get there. Um, so I started looking at to see who was using nutrition and nutrient therapy to help with mental health symptoms. And I found many people uh, I found Julia Ross, who wrote The Mood Cure and mm. The Diet Cure, um, and she she's an MFT who started out in addiction and was was 
really upset that the addiction recovery rates were so low and started hiring nutritionists to look into how the nutrition piece could help with addiction. And um, anyway, use that information that she dug up on, there's plenty of research to help um, in recovery, which had changed success rates enormously. And then took it further to help with depression and anxiety and other mental health symptoms in her clinic. Then she did, she is the one who created the certificate program that I went through for a year, learning how specifically to use nutrient therapy and more for, um, for mental health symptoms. So my first question is, how, how do you feel about therapists talking about nutrition and the therapy work and what that means in terms of scope? Yeah. Like, how do you handle that? And, and anyone that's listening, because, you know, we all have some of the, the same basic training, right, uh, and skills. But when it comes to this and, and competency and scope, what does that look like? Yeah, definitely. That was my biggest concern also. And, um, and of course, anytime you, you'll talk to, to Camped about this, it's about what you're doing in the room is about scope of practice and what you are trained and feel, comp- you know, what you have some training to back up what you're doing. Um, so for me, because I have the degree and I have a certificate, I feel very comfortable. Right. I understand that a lot of therapists wouldn't, um, but it doesn't have to be recommending an amino acid or um it can start just talking about diet and what your clients are eating or not eating yeah and and that alone can make a huge difference um in, in mental health and any any the law in california at least and i'm i'm this might be state to state is that any person can discuss nutrition and, and diet. Yeah. Um, I do have a sign in my office that is recommended to have regarding that. I also let clients know um, if I'm only seeing them for the nutrition piece, you know, that I am a therapist, but we're not doing therapy. So I have kind of a lot of bases covered that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think because of the training that I've had, I feel, I feel comfortable with everything that I do. And I do I even in sessions will do trialing supplements in the room. So um, yes, a lot of people think it's weird and I always make sure they're okay with it because what therapist is going to be giving you a, a pill to take and see how that goes. Um, but, but I always make sure they're okay with it first. Yeah. I think that that's a good point that um, we should be assessing for this stuff anyway, at least, yes. at least very, you know, when we're doing like a, <clears throat> You could do your mental status exam, but there's also like the physical aspect, like how's your sleep? How's your eating? These are like common questions that we ask in the beginning. And so there's probably a lot we can just gather from what they're eating. So sh- tell me a little bit about how it's shown up for you and, and your work and what you've seen happen with clients in this stuff. Yeah, it's been it's been nothing short of amazing. I, I really, I mean, that's why it's so exciting for me. Um, and of course it's not the answer for everyone. And there's maybe 10% of people that, that we get stumped on, or I end up sending them to somebody else who can do some more physical work. Um, but let's just say that someone comes in who has an eating disorder and, um, and they're binging and purging and really struggling with those obsessive thoughts and, 
and low self-esteem that we're going to see kind of those cluster of symptoms. Um, the way that I would look at that is purging is, is about endorphins and getting that endorphin rush is why they feel better. So I'm going to look at like, why do they want to do that? can be drinking, purging, whatever. What is the chemistry behind that? And how can we address that chemistry? So specifically for binging and purging, they're, they're going to need, be, need to be an endorphin boosted. And there's an amino acid that converts to endorphins. And they're usually low in serotonin also. So we can also boost up the serotonin. And seriously, within a matter of weeks, I've seen a complete turnaround with with the binging and purging and getting a handle on the, the chemistry piece so that they can actually do therapy. Right. It's kind of like when you're talking, I'm, and just so people know, like we're just having a conversation. So there's not like a written list of questions here, but it's kind of like, as you're talking, it sounds like how a psychiatrist would talk about medication. Like in terms of like, I'm going to give you this to boost it, but you're talking about more of like, holistic kind of approach of like not just you know covering it up but like kind of nourishing within exactly and i the pharmaceutical industry uses the same research that you know that we're talking about here but they they are looking for medication to kind of fool the body or override the body when when my angle is looking at how can we nourish and, and solve the root cause problem so that we don't need the medication. And oftentimes we, they don't. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's really interesting. And so how, how could another therapist, you know, that is not so savvy and okay, we're going to boost serotonin. What should we eat or take or supplement? How could they get that information like how how do you develop the skill set well i mean i've been studying and learning for years yeah I, I think from a simple like what could i do today kind of a, a message is is asking your clients first of all what are they eating if it's a lot of processed food that is that yeah. go of course it's obvious um, but are they eating enough protein? Protein is the only thing your body can make neurotransmitters out of. So everything that makes us feel right and balanced and good, everything that's associated with our mental health, it needs protein in order to be made. Um, so yeah, we are a carb society, right? Yeah. So um, we're not getting a lot of protein from pasta and bread and, and all the things that... Um, that we're prone to eat, especially kids and teens. You know, their diet is is the worst during those critical development years. And I don't have to tell you that we're seeing an enormous uprising in children and mental health issues and, and teens also. Um, and that we just have to start making the connection that what we're doing to our bodies is contributing to that. The low, lower income families are the ones that tend to eat the worst and what i what i've realized is you know the kids that i was seeing in in that demographic it would be like taco bell on monday mcdonald's on tuesday you know because it's easy and also it's cheap yeah so it's cheap and they can often use their um, subsidy money for it and those are the kids that are also eating the lunch at school you know so we have to start 
doing some education with parents too um, regarding, the, they want to just let their kids eat what the kid wants to eat. I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard, all they're eating is pasta. It's the only thing they like. Well, <laughs> they don't know. You know, if you just let them eat whatever they want, we're all going to, we're yeah. all going to probably eat the wrong kind of thing. <laughs> That's so, what I would want to eat too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They, and a, and a kid or a teen doesn't make, you can at least make the connection that you're going to feel pretty bad afterwards. Um, and, and a kid or a teen can't be expected to, to make that connection. Mm-hmm. I want to ask a little bit more like personal, what do you love about your practice and how you've kind of set it up in this way to have such a niche? Uh, I love that, that I can turn somebody's lifetime of battling symptoms in a different direction. And of course, all therapists would say they love that, but it's so much, um, not just faster, but more effective that because you're getting at that root physical cause, you're not just addressing the psychological aspect or the emotional aspect, but the biological one that's there too. And we just can't say it's not there because 95% of the time it is there and it needs to be addressed. Do you think this is going to be more of a trend in therapists? I really hope so. I really do. Um, I think the issue is fear of scope of practice or stepping outside of that. Um, And, you know, a lot of people might be afraid of dealing with doctors and that kind of thing along the same lines. You know, if, if a client comes in and they're already on medication, and I found that to not be a problem hardly at all that that psychiatrists and doctors are willing to talk with me let me know what you know let their clients try this and that's been okay also I I just always want to be upfront with them and I tell them to be upfront with their doctor about what we're doing and um can you share a little bit about your process because I think it's applicable to every therapist in communicating with a primary care or psychiatrist that's also um, providing care for the same client. How do you go about that? And yeah, just tell me a little bit more about that relationship and your process. Uh, I think it's probably similar to everyone else's, you know, first I'll start with letting my client know that I would like to talk with their doctor or psychiatrist, especially if we're going to go this direction and adding in some nutrients. Um, and just make that contact and and explain to them why it's really important that they're honest with their doctor as well. Um, And of course, sometimes they haven't had contact for years with their doctor, but they're still getting the medication. You know, there's all kinds of situations that we come across. Um, And I'm very careful. I don't talk about medication with them. I don't tell them they need to go off or on ever. That's not my job. Um, We all are careful about that. Um, But, you know, I'll tell the doctor exactly what I'm doing, and if they want to know why, I'll tell them why. Um, Oftentimes, it's become a new referral source for me. Um, And my last office was in Santa Barbara. I had a psychiatrist that would, when he was kind of like, I don't know what to do anymore, he would send his people to me. Lucky you, Vonda. (laughs) (laughs) But what a privilege, right? And I think... um, that speaks to how like when you build a relationship then doctors will trust you you know and um what an opportunity instead of him 
just trying the same thing over and over again. Right. Let's try something a little different. Right. Yes. Yes. And and how do you, how would you, anyone that's listening, because I think part of the reason why, uh, I mean, I used to work my first job in the field, like when I just started grad school was working for a very well-known wealthy psychiatrist who had national clinics as his assistant and there was just sort of an intimidation factor like you just you know if you suggest something that's almost like questioning how do you how do you recommend therapists approach kind of that fear because I think there is an ongoing kind of worry about like stepping on toes so do you have any suggestions around that part yeah well I feel like we're doing really different things because the psychiatrist isn't I mean, most of the time, they're not talking about changing their diet. Yeah. Or even looking a little deeper at, like, how is their gut health? Or are their adrenal glands, you know, really low or really high? Could that be causing their anxiety? You know, they're not, that's not in their realm, so I'm not stepping into their world. Um, we're, I kind of look at it like we're colleagues, and we're, I have a different approach. I'd like to, we want to help this client, right? We're all yeah. in the same we have the same goal here. And there has been a couple times where the doctor would say like, no, I don't want them to take this stuff. It can be really damaging, you know, with, without them knowing or giving me the chance to explain mm-hmm. uh, or even give them the research. So that, but that's pretty rare. And, and it's kind of sad for me because, you know, I knew I could maybe help that person or, um, but that's just, that happens all the time in our world. Yeah. 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 I think the collaborative approach, like having that stance and mentality is key for what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, so could a therapist consult with you? Like if maybe do you do consultation? I do. Yes. Um, and I have done that, especially people who've kind of had some of the training that I, I've had. So yes, I, I mean, I haven't thought about that, but that might be a way kind of around the scope of practice for them is that they're kind of checking in, you know, or, or, you know, checking in to see if things are okay that they're recommending. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but like I said, the diet is, is always like the first layer, and, and I even do that. That's the first layer, you know, is yeah. the corrections. But also, I'm not going to tell a bulimic person or even an alcoholic to stop doing what they're doing because I <laughs> personally, you know, that doesn't work. We have to, we have to help them take away the cravings, get to the, and then we'll talk about what they need, need to change, give them, make it possible first. Right. So when you thinking of all the therapists out there who need this kind of knowledge or what is your message to them? Like, what do you want people to know at the end of the day, your colleagues that are listening? Uh, I think especially colleagues who who always feel like that all we can do is refer for medication. I want them to know that there's a, a step before that, and and it can can alleviate the need to go you know to go on. I think when we're frustrated or we feel like we're not therapy isn't possible or it's not getting anywhere, and the depression or the anxiety is too great. That we have to go. Okay, we've got to have some. We've got to have a medication consult here. And and ninety plus percent of the time we don't. There's we can help look at those 
those physical issues that are causing that are causing those symptoms and address them. But it sounds like even if they are on medication, this stuff is still important. I mean, it, it's still relevant and can still help whatever medication they are taking. Yes, absolutely. There are some precautions and there's some things that I wouldn't do with somebody depending on what medication they're on. Um, so it's important for me to know what they're taking. Um, but yes, it can be extremely effective. Um, I've had people who were weaning off medication and with their doctor um, work with me to help alleviate the difficulty. We, we oh. like how difficult that can be, especially benzos or, or um, street drugs. Mm -hmm. uh, it can be, this, is, this is an amazing complement to someone trying to get or stay sober or clean. It's kind of that missing, missing link um, mm -hmm. in that world too. You know, too often we're having people just white knuckle it when they don't have to. We can fix the reason that they want the drug in the first place. What a big difference. I feel like you should be consulting with every rehab out there. <laughs> <laughs> Many, you know, some rehabs are starting to do this and um, to, to really, to add in some nutrients and the amino acids. Uh, I don't know how well they're doing it, but I know that there are some and it's really exciting because they also are, are feeding you know, when you have somebody inpatient, it's the perfect opportunity to change their diet and make it, you know, perfect because you're providing all the food for them. So, and I don't think they've tapped into that as much um, in the inpatient programs, but yeah, it's definitely needed. Okay, I'm going to ask an off the wall question. What would be one thing that would improve nourishment to the brain? One thing that someone can do? Um, I think the, the biggest thing is getting high quality protein. Um, of course, there's cofactors that are necessary. You know, I guess getting protein and maybe taking a good food-based uh, multivitamin. Mm -hmm. That's two things, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, and maybe people don't even know what high-quality protein is, but, um, but, you know, like something that's organic or grass-fed or high-quality eggs. It's simple. It's something we all can do to make sure we're getting that in two to three times a day, and it makes a really big difference for the brain. Yeah, because I think who's listening is also someone that... I mean, we have to take care of our brains, too. <laughs> I mean... Therapists experience their own vicarious trauma. We have our own anxiety and depression as well. And so it may even be someone that's listening might be thinking, oh, maybe I need to start looking at what I'm putting in my mouth and in my body. And, um, you know, we as healers also have to be aware of what's going on within too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And I, I always do for my colleagues, I always do everything half price oh. because I feel like it's so important for them to see how this works, to experience it for themselves so that they can be, you know, be an advocate. So what are the ways that you work in your practice? Just like, give me a rundown. You do therapy, then you do the integrated stuff and then you do nutrition and Yes. So um, I do therapy and incorporate the nutrition into it. And so sometimes people will come to me just for therapy and have no idea that yeah. is there. So I 
usually can't help myself because I hear symptoms when they're when they're talking to, and I want to you know address them nutritionally. Um, and then I'll explain to them about what I do and are they open to that. Um, and I have some specific assessment tools that I use for them. So I incorporate it in with the therapy or maybe 50% of my clients are nutrition only. Mm -hmm. so referred by another therapist or they found me on Julia Ross's website for practitioners. Um, they started reading one of her books and wanted, needed some extra help. Mm -hmm. um, or I'll get a referral for somebody coming out of rehab or something like that. So that's, and then I just do the, the neuronutrient piece. Um, so that's an hour and a half assessment. And then I usually only see those clients three to five times total. Wow. Um, because that's all I really need to see them. Um, I mean, I can always do a check-in with them later to make sure they're keeping up on things. But, but unless we need to do some, some significant lab testing, that's about how long it, you know, how long it takes. And that's over the course of two to three months. Do you only work in your office or do you do virtual? I don't do virtual for the first session, but I do for the follow-ups. Okay, cool. Awesome. Well, I'm hoping that this inspires people that are listening to start thinking about this piece. I think, um, you know, I know we talk a lot about business in Zanini, and <laughs> but it's also about becoming better clinicians. And when we offer services that are relevant and effective, it makes our business sustainable and it gives it longevity. I think they kind of go hand in hand. And so what is a way a therapist could reach out to you or um, can you talk about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I have a website. Uh, it is nutritionistherapy.com very easy to remember. Um, and for anyone um, watching or listening to this, Kelly, I have a, if, if they go on my website and sign up for my newsletter, mm -hmm. I will send them a link for a free, um, kind of a short webinar that I'm, I'm putting together for therapists only mm -hmm. who want to bring nutrition into the therapy room. So it's going to explain a little bit about how to start doing that and why it's important. Um, and down the line, I want to do more and more trainings for frontline practitioners. That's great. What a great service. Yeah. Thanks. I will put that information in the links below. Um, I think, too, I just want to go back to where we started from that whole idea of scope. And when people don't understand um, or they feel fearful, it's just because there's a lack of knowledge you know, and so if you're like, oh, I don't know if I could just start to learn. And, you know, that's what clinical consultation is for. <laughs> um, we never stop learning as we continue to grow and amass other knowledge and how to integrate that into our work to become more clinically effective as therapists. We seek wisdom from people that have been there and done that. Um, and um, that's how we maintain our integrity and our ethics so just because it feels scary doesn't mean you can't explore it and get some knowledge and i think like your webinar is a great way to just kind of delve in and start thinking about what this looks like as a therapist in practice uh, particularly in private practice too yes yes we can't let fear 
you know, dictate how we're running. We can't. <laughs> we can't. We can't. <laughs> we can, but we won't get very far. <laughs> I remember meeting a psychologist at um, a conference I was at, and she had had basically a lot of the same training that I had had, but wasn't using any of it. She just said, I'm, I'm, I'm too, you know, it's too scary. I'm too afraid. And I, I was like, that's just crazy to me, but, um, you know, we can, we can operate from a place of fear or from safety, you know, yeah. just like, just like you said, just yeah. you know, all those safety things in place. Yeah. Uh, but at the least, I mean, how we can't be afraid of talking about diet and yeah. exercise, you know, of course yeah. that's, that's a first starting line. Yeah. Starting line place. And maybe many of us don't want to because we're not doing it well ourselves and we have to kind of get over that. And it's still valuable, even if, the therapist, you know, needs to work on that as well. Well, um, all of us have stuff we have to work on. Absolutely. I mean, if I waited till I didn't, then I would never do therapy because right. I could never be a therapist. You know, it's not about being perfect. Right. It's about um, just continual self-development and clinical skill development and awareness of what's showing up in the room and when it's your stuff and when it's the clients, but yeah, no shame is only going to stop you and get you stuck. So um, thank you for sharing your knowledge. I learned some things today now I have to go find my high quality protein <laughs> as a vegetarian. It's a little different. I have to be able, I have to be very proactive about that. Um, so yes, to think about absolutely there's a lot of pieces with the vegetarian piece that are a little bit trickier and we have to help yeah. from a different a different angle so yeah yeah so thank you vonda okay thanks a lot kelly here all right take care you Bye. too all right how was that for you <laughs> <laughs>